0: Just come and hang out. There's a plenty of cool people. Other people you can hang out with. Your boyfriend invited you tonight, and y'all break up this next week. All oh, sad, and uh, and that happens. No big deal. Come back next week. He's not going to think you're a creeper. And if he does, who cares? He's a loser for breaking up with you anyway. You know what I'm saying? And so come back. You're a part of the H12 family, and uh, and we want you guys. We want you guys to know that we are blessed that you're here. But we are here for a reason. We are here for purpose. And I believe tonight that if you listen, you pay attention, you engage, you invite yourself into what we're going to talk about tonight, I promise you, you will be challenged and your life will be changed if you open your heart up to God. Now, uh, how many of you guys in here are athletes? You play sports? Uh, I was an athlete in high school. I played I played uh, football, wrestling, and then I also played baseball, which was my favorite sport. And, um, and, and, and so now I'm old and I play sports. Softball and uh and yeah that's why that's why old men play and um and girls and so um and so I play softball now and and occasionally when we would be taking batting practices like that, you know some of the balls that, that we've been using over some time, they would begin to get spots in them like this like like this and and we would begin just to kind of like kind of peel away at the ball and we would begin to rip the cover off the ball because inside of the ball, once you rip the cover off is this very tightly wound yarn. And you guys can see the yarn that's right inside of there. And this yarn wraps around so tightly around this little core of a ball, which is on the inside. It's about this big, a little smaller than a golf ball. And the core inside of a baseball, the core inside of a softball is actually what gives it its power, what gives it its lift, what gives it the distance on the ball. So literally leagues can dictate how hard people hit the ball based on the core of the ball that they use in that particular league. So in different softball leagues you go play in, some of them have 44 core balls. Some of them have 46 core balls, depending on how hard they want the center, how strong they want the center of that ball to be, because the stronger it is, the farther you can hit the ball. And I think that that is something that is so relevant to our lives and who we are. See, the truth is, just like in a baseball or a softball, the core is what makes it go. The core of it is what matters. Then what is at the core of who you are is what matters. Your core matters. And we're going to talk, talk tonight. We're going to talk next week. And the next week, uh, we're going to be in a series called Circles. I'm going to draw some things on the board next week. I'm going to bring in this week into the next two weeks so you can see this. But at the core, at the center of everything, we would say that that what needs to be at the core is God. Now, the truth is, is that there's all kinds of things that we put at the center of our life. We put ourselves, we put others, we put all these things at the center of our life. But at the center of our life, there mu- it must be God. And the reason for that is, is that our lives can only be directed our lives can only grow and our lives can only be strengthened by him being at the core of our life. And tonight we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what does it mean to have God at the core of your life? Because that is who we are as a church. That's who we are as a high school ministry. We realize that people come in here on different spiritual walks. We realize that people come in here on different journeys. Some people have been following Jesus for a long time. For some people, maybe tonight is the first experience you've ever had with church or God or any of that kind of stuff. And and the truth is, is that H12 and 12 Stone Church, we are all about connecting people to God, to helping people move God from being some distant thing out there to this personal intimate relationship where God actually becomes the core of who we are. And then once that happens, we want you to strengthen that. We want you to strengthen your relationship with the core to make that core stronger. We want that core to be strengthened because the stronger your core is, then the more equipped, the better uh, prepared you are going to be to face the world and the things that we have around us. And there's a story in the Bible that I think really speaks to what we're going to talk about tonight about God being at the core of our life. And that is in Daniel chapter three, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you got your Bibles, you can open up to that story in Daniel chapter three. It's in the Old Testament. And as you're opening up to that story, as you're opening up to that story, I think that a statement I wanna make that will really set the tone for the night is this. I believe that God has a full life designed for you. In fact, Jesus even said, I have come that you may have life and that you have it to the full. That God has this full life for you, this life that he desires for you, this amazing life. That doesn't mean that it's free of suffering. It doesn't mean that it's free of pain. It doesn't mean that it's free of that kind of stuff. But what it does mean is that that he has got something for you that even though you go through those difficult things, you are still complete, you are still full because you can only be completed in him. And so the reason we're having this conversation tonight is this, we're having this conversation because when I look out and I spend time with students and I have conversations and people set up meetings with me and I sit in my office, I find that most students, even students who call themselves Christians, even students that are active in the church are not living a full life and I think that the single greatest reason for that being true is that God is not at the core. He's not at the center. And I want to talk about that as we get into this story. And I want to read this to you. And I want, I want to kind of break it down as we go through. And I'm going to read most of chapter three here. And, uh, and so I want you to follow along with me in your Bibles. Listen to what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide, and set it up in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Let me explain what's going on. Daniel, the book of Daniel was written during the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire is considered the greatest empire that has ever existed. The Babylonian Empire controlled more land, more territory, more people. There was more power under the Babylonian Empire than any other empire that has ever walked on the face of the earth, and Nebuchadnezzar was the king. He was the most powerful man in the world. Every single person in the world had to submit to the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar. And his primary city the, of the Babylonian Empire was this place called Babylon. Now Babylon was basically up in a, a hilled and mountainous area. And down in sort of the middle of Babylon was this plain. And the plain, the flat land uh, was, this pla- was, this called, was called Dura, the plains of Dura. And basically what happens here is that Nebuchadnezzar decides to build a gold statue of himself because he's king in the dead center of the plains of Dura. So it didn't matter where you lived, all around the city of Babylon, up in the the higher mountainous and and, and hill areas, when you look down in the city of Dura, every person from their home could see this 90-foot statue that he had built of himself. And what's cool about it is scholars, when they, when they kind of go and they look at this area, they believe that what actually happened is that as the sun would rise up, the sun would reflect off of the golden statue, and it would create this thing to where no matter what you were doing during the day, your eyes and your attention would be drawn to, to this gold statue that would be glowing as the sun would rise, as the sun would set. And all throughout the day, it would be a reminder that Nebuchadnezzar was king. He was the man. And then he goes on and says this. Then he summoned the satrap prefects, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the providential officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had made. So all these officials came together and they dedicated the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Listen to this. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all the instruments, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At that time, astrologers came, uh, came forward and, and denounced the Jews, the people of God. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone, when they hear the sound of all these instruments, they fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some of the Jews, the people of God, whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Who paid no attention to you, your majesty? They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of all the music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God, little g God, I love that, will be able to rescue you from my hand. I want you to notice their boldness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. There's a big boom that should be right there. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and his attitude towards him changed. So he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men fell down. In verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men who were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly your, master, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the sons of gods, the son of gods. We know this. This interpretation actually goes and points all the way back to the New Testament. In the New Testament, where Jesus is referred to as the Son of God, it refers all the way back to here. Most scholars, including myself, believe that this was Jesus that was actually walking around in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he goes on, he says this. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the open blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and all the government officials were all around them. They're amazed. Can you imagine if you just saw the scene? These guys are thrown in. The guys that even threw them in the furnace were burned up. And now these guys are just walking around chilling in the furnace, not a scratch on them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor were there even a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was not even the smell of smoke on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any God other than their own God. They would rather die than serve and worship any God other than their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their house be turned into a pile of rubble, which literally in the Hebrew context means that it is to be turned into a toilet. Literally what Nebuchadnezzar is saying here is that like, listen, if you don't worship and serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like we're all just gonna go take a big poop on your house. That's basically what he's saying. It's the Bible, man, it's good stuff. For no other God can save you in this way. Then, king, then the king promoted Meshach and Abednego over the province, of Bab, the province of Babylon. We just read an entire chapter of scripture in here, and, uh, and, and everybody's still awake. Yes. Success. People are like, oh, you can't read all this scripture there, man. These kids can't handle it. No, you can handle it. What an amazing story! What an amazing story of God's favor. And this is what I want to do. I want to point out three different groups of people, three different people inside of this story, and I want to relate it to you, and I want to show you how this relates to God being at the core of your life. The first thing I want to, the first person I want to point out in the story is King Neb. We're going to call him King Neb because King Nebuchadnezzar just takes too long. King Neb, uh, King Neb in this story. We're going to call King Neb an image builder. King Neb was an image builder. When you are an image builder, that means that you are at the core. King Nebuchadnezzar lived in a community, lived in a world that was all about projecting his image. It was all about projecting your image. What we know about Babylon is that Babylon was a perverse culture. It was a worldly culture. It was sexually driven. It was all about performance. It was all about getting to the top. It was all about success. Babylon was all about that. Not much different from the culture that we live in today in America. King Nebuchadnezzar was all about projecting his image. He wanted people to bow down to him. He thought of himself as God, literally. And I know for us, we wouldn't say, man, I'm God. But oftentimes we live our lives in ways that would suggest that we believe that we're in control, that would suggest that we're the God of our own life. We don't want to submit to God because if we submit to God, then that means, and put God at the core of our life, then that means that I can't be at the core of my life. And Nebuchadnezzar was at the core of his life. He was at the core. And this is the temptation of every man and every woman. This was the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempts them, not with a fruit. He tempts them with an idea. The fruit was a part of it. God said, you shall not eat from the fruit and the tree in the middle of the garden. Satan says, did God really say that you cannot eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? They're kind of like, well, yeah. And then Satan says this. But God knows that if you eat from this tree, you will be like him. Adam and Eve immediately begin to think, God's holding out on me. What do you mean? You mean if I eat from this tree, I get to be God? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. The temptation was you can be the God of your own life. You don't have to have God at the core of your life. That is the temptation of every man. It was the temptation of Satan, the reason he fell from heaven. It is the temptation of every person in this room. It is my temptation. It is your temptation. We all wanna be God of our own life. We all wanna be in control. And this was the temptation of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, we can even see it today in social media. Like social media is all about us projecting an image. Us creating an idea of what we want people to think about us. Like, none of us post our failures or bad pics on our Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Like, do we? You know what I'm saying? Like, you take a pic. Somebody, somebody posts a picture of you, right? And it's an ugly picture. What do you do? Delete. Untag. Like, you don't want your image to be marred because somebody else caught you on a bad hair day. You know what I'm saying? Now I don't have much hair, so that's not that is, that's never my problem. Like that. That's how it is, and so so in social media, it's like that. I mean, we're, it, it's about projecting an image, and so we say things, we do things, we we long for likes, we long for follows, we long for retweets. Why? Because we are trying to build our image. We're trying to build up who we are. We want other people to be like, dude, that guy is popular. That guy has a lot of friends. That guy is noticed. You you ever posted a picture before, and like like a couple hours later, it's got like no likes or no retweet. You're like, dude, I'm gonna delete that mug right now. You know what I'm saying? Even the whole idea of selfie. It's all about me being at the core, you know? It's all about me. The whole idea of selfie. We are all about projecting an image. Listen, I believe that the greatest, single greatest barrier to God being at the core of your life is the image that you want to project that your image is the single greatest barrier to God being at the core of your life. It's about building yourself up. It's about putting yourself on the throne. About three or four weeks ago, I was speaking in Maryland at this thing and some some students that were called into ministry, they had this little session and these kids were asking me questions. And one of the questions they asked me was this. I thought it was a great question. I've never heard it worded this way, but this is the question. Christians are at their best when blank, and Christians are at their worst when blank. I thought for a couple seconds, and this was my response Christians are at their best when they decrease, and Christians are at their worst when they increase. It's what John the Baptist said He must increase, and I must decrease it's so countercultural it's so countercultural to the way we live because our culture is all about us increasing us being known us making ourselves known and this is something that king nebuchadnezzar was all wrapped up in the second group of people i want you to look at this at this is this i want you to look at the crowd king nebuchadnezzar was an image was an was an image builder the the crowd were image bowers. The crowd was image bowers. I want you to notice this accusation right here in the passage. Notice what it says. They single out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say some of the people of God have not bowed. Who are they? Nebuchadnezzar says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's the question. Where were the other people of God? Where were they? They were certainly present There were thousands of people who followed God, thousands of people who would have been present in Babylon, thousands of people who would have worshiped the one true God. Where were they at? How come these guys were the only ones singled out? I'll tell you why. Because the crowd bowed. The crowd bowed. And you know what I've learned? The crowd always bows. The crowd always bows. I mean, you guys just started school again. Here's my question. There are hundreds of churches in Gwinnett County. Thousands of students that go to student ministries and church every single weekend. Yet if I was to ask you the spiritual temperature of your school, you would not be shouting on the rooftops about it. Most of you don't know many people in your school that are sold out for Jesus, yet thousands of them, thousands of people all over Gwinnett County go to church that would call themselves Christian, call themselves followers of Jesus, call themselves followers of God. What is the deal? Why is that true? Because they bow. They bow. The crowd always bows. Pressures come, they bow. See, it's always more difficult to stand when everyone else bows. It always is. When you're at the party and everyone else is bowing, it's not easy to stand. It's not, I'm telling you, I've been there. You know what I'm saying is true because you've been there. It's not easy to stand. I think that's the reason Jesus uses this analogy. He says, listen, Broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter into it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and many. Will. In other words, the way of the crowd is this way and most people enter into it because that road is broad, it's easy, it is the path of less resistance, but in order to stand you must go against the crowd. And narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. Few find it. Guys, let me tell you, for some of you, the single greatest barrier to Jesus being the core of your life is that you can't stop bowing. You can't stop bowing to all the other things around you, even though that you know that Jesus should be at the core of your life. And I think there's several reasons why. The first reason I think why is because we make God a part of our life and not the core of our life. Like we come to age 12 tonight and it's like, hey man, I'm doing my God thing tonight. Tomorrow we go to school, I'm doing my school thing. Tomorrow night we go out to dinner with our family, I'm doing my family thing. Friday night we go out with our friends, I'm doing my friend thing. And everything is just disconnected. Everything is flying all over the place. But the truth is is that whatever's at the core of your life dictates everything else in your life. So if God is at the core of your life, even when you're with your family, even when you're with your friends, even when you are are out doing whatever you do, it affects every single aspect of your life because God's at the core. The same goes, you ever met someone who their boyfriend's at the core? Does it affect their friendships? Yes. Like y'all were BFFs and then she got in that relationship. Like, dude, I ain't seen that girl in like six months. You know what I'm saying? Does it affect your relationship with your parents? It affects family. Does it affect your relationship with God? Yeah. I'm like scanning through, you know, Twitter and all this kind of stuff. When I go to tweet and I see this different stuff come up and, 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 and there's something that just drives me Crazy. So excited to see my bae tonight. So excited. Can we just get real for a minute? That's a cute statement, but that statement's revealing. See, bay means above anyone else, right? Before, just checking to make sure you're on your toes. Before anyone else. So let me get this straight. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend is before anyone else. No, no, let me tell you something. God is bay. God is before anyone else. You know what I'm saying? God is bae. God is at the core. God is before anyone else. Listen. Many of us are misguided. We're misguided and we don't even realize it because we adopt the culture around us just like the people of God did in Babylon. Going against the culture is not easy. It is much more difficult to stand and you guys know that to be true. And I wanna challenge you to stand and you cannot stand unless God's at the core. You cannot. When I talk to students who don't come to H12 anymore and I say, Why did you stop coming? And they say to me, because I see these girls or these guys that go to my high school that come to age 12 and at school, they're not the same person that they are at church. At school, they're doing all this stuff and then they're at church, like raising their hands, worshiping and all this kind of stuff. And so I don't wanna be a part of that. You know what I say to that? I say, shame on us. And you know what I also say? I'm glad those people are here so that they can learn about God, they can learn about Jesus, that their life can be changed and that he could be the core of their life. Because if anybody needs to be here, it's the people that bow all the time so that they can hear a message like this and say, you know what, I'm not gonna bow anymore. I'm gonna take a stand. And I don't care how much it costs me because following Jesus is so worth it because that full life that I have will never happen if I keep bowing. It'll never happen. I gotta stop bowing. Second reason people bow, I think, is because they can't handle the pressure. And I believe this, your beliefs and your convictions truly rise to the surface when you're placed under pressure. Let me say that again, slower. Your beliefs and your convictions truly rise to the surface when you're placed under pressure. You're in a relationship, you get pressured to do things sexually that you know go against the core of your relationship with God. Your true beliefs and convictions come to the surface when you are placed under pressure. You get pressured at a party to drink, do drugs, name it, go down the list. Your true beliefs and convictions rise to the surface. Finally. We got the boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were not image builders. They were not image bowers. They were image bearers. Now, the truth is the Bible tells us that as humans, we're all image bearers of God. We're all created in the image of God. But these guys were image bearers in the sense that they bared the image of God, that they bared who he was, that they carried, they represented who God was because he was at the core of their life. And there's some observations that I wanna point out about these guys. The first observation is this. These guys had status... These guys had status. If anyone had the right, if anyone had the right to try to draw attention to themselves, it was this guy's. When you back up in Daniel and you read Daniel chapter one, the Bible tells us that these guys were the most handsome guys around. These guys were good looking. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says these guys were 10 times wiser than any person in the land during this day. 10 times wiser. God's favor was on them. Not only did they look good, but these guys were smart. If these guys felt like they wanted to build themselves up, these guys had the temptation to do that. But they didn't. Second observation is this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew where the line was and would rather die than cross it. Guys, listen, for these guys bowing, this was not just gonna cost them like a few friends. This was gonna cost them their life for standing for God. The cost was great. Truthfully, if if I was to build a statue of myself and place it in this room right now and say, now listen, and I had a gun in my hand, I said, listen, if you don't come up here and bow before this, like I'm taking you out. What I know is this, that some of you guys would bow. The fear of death would be enough to get you to bow. But for many of us, we bow for far less. And these guys already knew where the line was drew in the sand and they knew that they would not bow, they would not cross that line, no matter what happened, even if it meant their death. And I even love what they say. They say, and this is another observation, they say, we will not bow whether God delivers us or not. We know he can, but if he doesn't, we're still not gonna bow because of our commitment to him. They lived their life as if someone who had... Him at the core. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the third observation, did not buckle when they were pressured. The fourth, uh, that uh, they were willing to serve God whether he delivered them or not. And the fifth was this. God was not a part of their life. He was their life. God was not a part of their life. He was their life. The cool thing about this story is that this account is the first recorded account of religious persecution in the history of the world. Biblical scholars and secular scholars agree. The first account of of religious persecution in the world. Now it's prevalent now. Thousands of people are killed every month for their belief in Jesus around the world. That's true. first account of religious persecution. I love this. In Daniel chapter seven, the word persecute is used a couple chapters later. The Hebrew word for persecute, listen, listen. The Hebrew word for persecute means this, to wear out. To wear out. There is nothing more that the enemy would want to do than to wear you out. Because when people are worn out, they bow they bow. And the only way to stand is to strengthen your core, to put God at the core and to strengthen the core because the stronger the core is, the further you will go, just like the stronger the ball is, the core in the ball is, the farther the ball will go. So how do I strengthen my core? That's the question. I'm gonna give you guys a couple things. The first is this. You need to commit to spending time with God. That Thursday night is not, or Tuesday night now, Tuesday night is not enough of time with God to prepare you for the week. You need to spend time with God every day. You say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know like where to start. When, it, so when you talk about spending time with God, well, well we wanna help you with that. That's, that's kind of our job. That's kind of why we're here. We wanna help you figure that out. If you've never read the Bible before, open up to the book of John. Start in the book of John. Start reading the Bible. Start spending time with God. Get connected to age 12. Secondly, get connected to age 12. Get connected here. Man, you may be here and you're like, dude, I don't know anybody. Listen, there's some awesome people here. Amen? Y'all, y'all know? Yes. Yes. Y'all are awesome. You need to get connected here. And even though you may not know anybody, it doesn't mean that there isn't like someone here that's amazing. And there are plenty of ways for you to get uh, access to getting to know people. And we want to help you do that. That's a part of our job. And we're going to talk a little more about those ways next week in our message next week that I'm pumped for. And then the third thing is this, get involved deeper than you are right now. No matter how deep you're involved right now, get involved deeper because that will take your core to the next level. That will build your relationship with God. That will strengthen you. And next week and the week after that, I'm gonna focus on that idea. Go deeper than you are now. And it's gonna be awesome. So here's my question for you guys. What most accurately describes you? Are you an image builder? Are you an image bower? Are you an image bearer? And I wanna encourage you tonight to get things right with God, to put him at the core. And maybe you're here tonight and you've never surrendered your life to God. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus and put him at the core. What I think is so cool about this story is that these guys are thrown in the fire and the only thing that is burned off of them is the bondage that was wrapped around their hands. There was no trace of smoke. There was no trace of anything else happened to them. And that's what happens when we come to Jesus. He takes the bondage of all the stuff that this world has wrapped around us and he burns it up. And there's no stench of any of the crap we've had in our life before on us anymore. And some of you guys need to make a commitment tonight to take a stand, to take a stand for God. I'm gonna have the band come up and I'm gonna close with a story. When I was, a couple years ago, I was listening to the radio one minute when I was, uh, one morning when I was driving into work and this dad calls into the radio station. He tells this story. And dude, it's a story that's just kind of marked me forever. I mean, I don't, like, I don't remember stories that people tell on the radio. I listen to the radio all the time. So it's not like something that just like pops out all the time. But, but this guy called in and he, he began to tell this story and he was weeping as he was telling the story. And like, dude, like I, like I started crying in my car. I feel like this like little like girl when he was like, you know what I mean? Because I'm like this tough guy and I'm like, I don't cry. But what, it was such a powerful story. And here's the story. He said, I'm so proud of my son. My son's in seventh grade. He said, my son came home last night. And he said, dad, tomorrow at the school is see you at the poll day. And his dad's like, what is that? I don't, I don't really know about see you at the poll. Tell me a little bit about that. And his dad's like, well, The son's like, well, basically like people from the school come together around the flagpole and they pray for their school. And I want to go to my school in the morning early so that I can pray at the flagpole for my school. And his dad, he said, man, I just I was so proud of my son because it wasn't my decision. I wasn't I wasn't forcing my son to do this. He's in seventh grade. He's making this decision on his own to go pray at this flagpole by him. I'm like, dude, this is so cool. So he says this morning we get up, get him out of bed get ready. We get to the school early and we pull into the parking lot. We're the only people there. So I drive over and I stop the car and my son goes to jump out and I say, hey, you want me to kind of wait with you until other people get here? And he said, his son was like, no, no, no. I'm good, Dad. I'm good. So his son jumps out of the car. He said he drives around the building and he parks in a teacher parking lot, which was kind of on the other side of the campus, but he could see the flagpole and he says his son walks over to the flagpole he gets down on a one knee and he grabs a hold of it and he just begins to pray by himself. He says, some, of, some other students started pulling in with their cars and they just walked past his son and walked into the school. He said, after about 15 minutes, some of the buses started showing up. He said, 40, 50 kids at a time, just walking past his son, passing the flagpole, going into school. He said, but then something crazy happened. He said, I started getting angry. He said, these kids started coming around my son and they started bullying him. They started making fun of him while he was there praying at the pole. He said, but he never stopped. He just kept praying. He said, after every student in that school walked in the building, he said, my son stood up, picked his book bag up, put it on, and he walked into the school. Nobody else showed up that day to pray at that pole. How easy would it have been to follow the crowd? Some of you guys need to make a decision on who you're going to stand for and who's going to be at the core of your life because tomorrow is the second day of school. And I hope that the second day of school, you are different than you were the first day. That there's an intentionality about the reason why you're there. God has placed you where he's placed you for a reason. For you to be a light. For you to represent him well. And you cannot influence the people around you for his glory if you are an image builder and an image bower. Only if you're an image bearer. And I would ask you to bear that image and carry it and influence the people around you for Christ some of you in here tonight, you need to make that decision, right? Put him at the core of your life tonight to begin with because you need that full life and you know you'll never have it apart from him. I'm telling you, you won't have it. I didn't give my life to Christ. I was a senior in high school, tried everything. And the truth is nothing fulfills, nothing can give you that life apart from Jesus. And if you're here tonight and that's you, I want you to find me. I want you to find one of the leaders. I want you to have a conversation because we're going to go out. We're going to have some fun here in a little bit. And during that time, man, I'm here to talk to you. I could care less about paint some stupid bus. I think it's pretty cool, but I can care less about it. I care about you doing business with God. And if you leave here tonight and you haven't done any business with God, you've wasted an opportunity. And that's a shame. And I'm telling you next week, we're going to be bringing the heat. It's going to be awesome next week. And the week after it's going to be awesome. Then we have our back to school bash. we got. It's going to be insane. And you need to stick with it. You need to commit. You need to grow. You need to chase after it. And so this next song, as they begin to play, I want you to do business with God tonight. If you got to get somewhere by yourself in the room, get by yourself. If you got to come up to the altar and bow down up here, come and bow down before God and say, God, I'm tired of bowing to all these other things. I'm going to bow down before you. If you want to sit in your seat, if you want to do whatever, respond in whatever you see fit, whatever way you see fit during this last song. God, I want to pray over these students. I ask God that your favor would be on their lives that you would change them from the inside out, Lord. That they would that they would make a decision to stand when everybody else is bowing. That they would make a decision to take the narrow road that leads to life versus the broad road that leads to destruction. I pray God that tonight these students would make a commitment to stop being image builders, always concerned about what other people think about them and about the throne that they're trying to sit themselves on. And that, Lord, that they would that they would stop trying to increase, and God, that they would say, Lord, we want you to increase. I'm going to decrease. God, decrease us tonight and increase in us, we pray. Be at the core of who we are in Jesus' name, amen.